we had a good conversation in one of the slacks today about how not only have there not been any good new serial mascots since like the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, well, part of it is that we are just not watching Saturday morning television anymore, so we're not getting exposed to the ads. Well, it doesn't exist. I don't know. Does it? I mean, I wouldn't know. I don't watch that time frame, so I don't know what's being broadcast. Yeah, Brendan, you have kids, though. Like, have you noticed any new, like, kid-oriented serials? It's it's mostly the same stuff. It's like Lucky Charms and Count Chocula and... I mean, there probably is, but it's probably just some bullshit like, you know, Fortnite Flakes or something like that that they just put out for like a limited time. Oh, right. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, like Saturday morning cartoons don't actually exist anymore. Usually when you're turning it on on a Saturday morning, there's like, you know, reruns of like nature documentaries and weird shit like that. Like there just is not a market for Saturday morning cartoons anymore because kids don't watch broadcast television. Well, yeah, the kids are just watching the Joker behead Elsa. On a procedurally generated <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> algorithmic video on YouTube. That yeah. or like one million like YouTube influencers doing Fortnite streams and playing, I don't know, is Five Nights at Freddy's still a thing? Still going strong out there. One of the strongest uh, horror uh, franchises ever at this point. Well, I don't know. A lot of people like despair at the demise of the monoculture, but I don't know that we're really missing out on that much to be honest <laughs> no it was all terrible i mean this that's the thing is that is that that's how you know you're getting old is when you're just fixated on the stuff that was bad when you were a kid <laughs> right as opposed to the stuff that's bad now it's always always just brain poison 100 percent of the time Welcome back to the Liquid Flannel Podcast in Arlington, Texas. I'm Matthew Hodges, joined by my excellent co-host in Omaha, Nebraska, Brendan Williams. Brendan, are you recording on company time right now? Whoa, secrets revealed. Uh, (laughs) Don't tell my mega corporation that I'm recording a socialist podcast in their office room. (laughs) We absolutely support time theft, so kudos to you. It's great. And uh, joining us as as our guest this week, a native son of the great state of Wisconsin, and also fresh from his incredibly successful debate win against uh, Jordan B. Peterson. We've got <laughs> we've got Matt Chrisman. What's up, Matt? Hey, guys. How you doing? Good. So nice that we finally got this, uh, got this all together. Yeah, it's been a comedy of errors. You've not been helped by the fact that I am a technological buffoon, <laughs> and having to be in charge of my own production is... Still crossing my fingers that this is actually going to be listenable. We're glad it finally worked out for our first segment here. We got to talk about some of the primary contenders. That's been kind of what we've been leading off with lately. And uh, Brendan, I'm going to call you under the carpet because you have been our, you know, diehard Mayor Pete guy. Oh, this is this is the time where I have to renounce my previous uh, Mayor Pete support. (laughs) You know, I thought it was pretty cool for a while, but uh, he has not really benefited from the increased media scrutiny, it seems like. Uh, You know, they're asking him, like, really basic questions like, 
you know, hey, what do you think about uh, indefinite detention of like people who leak the government doing crimes? And he's like, I love it. I just I want to continue it as much as possible. Yeah, not the best look out there, Petey. Yeah, I mean, just just today, the big blow up is I mean, I assume that since you're renouncing Mayor Pete, that means that you are in favor of the Boston bomber basically unilaterally running elections, right? I, I want to learn more. You know, I haven't taken a position on that yet. <laughs> what do you got on, on uh, Pete Buttigieg, Matt Christman? He's a reformer with results, and I can't wait to support him. <laughs> uh, I like the fact that they asked him today about sanctuary cities and South Bend being a sanctuary city and the fact that it wasn't one and what he wanted about what he thought about that. Yeah. And he said that he thought that it should be a welcoming city. <laughs> which is just a perfect bit of sleight of hand because of course the sanctuary city is a legal framework for like law enforcement and the legal system interacting with the federal government right. in, on immigration issues welcoming city is just nothing it's gibberish it means it it's a bumper sticker and so that's pretty perfect i mean it's it's literally what every town has on their sign as you drive in you know exactly yes even the sundown towns have <laughs> <Right>. welcome uh, <laughs> on the the sign coming in well he wants to support good things and not bad things so like you know, organic know. yogurt <laughs> did you see that he was at the stonyfield organic yogurt plant <laughs> yes. and he's talking about how they're a paragon of ethical capitalism yeah when i open up my refrigerator and i see the beautiful containers of stony brook yogurt i know that america is going to be okay just soothes my soul. I think it's great. You know, uh, Trump does not shy away from doing all of the corporate endorsements that he can get away with. So I don't see why Democrats should fall behind on that game. But it also speaks to, you know, exactly the problem that a bunch of people were pointing out today with Buttigieg, which is that not only does he not have any policies, he also thinks of that as a virtue. He's completely on the... I keep thinking about uh, somebody took a screenshot of a West Wing episode where the sign in the background was like practical idealism. Hell yeah. Which is just so fucking meaningless. And it, it, that's exactly what Buttigieg is. It's that same Beto O'Rourke sort of like, we'll focus on policies later. Right now, what we need to talk about is is values and ideals, because that's what really resonates with people. And I think it's interesting how Mayor Pete has, to the degree that Mayor Pete has become a story, is the exact degree to which Beto O'Rourke has receded in the background. Oh, yeah. Because they're filling the exact same hole, and there's only room for one of them at a time in the hole. Yeah, absolutely. And then, assuming that it's going to happen, apparently people are getting emails about it, assuming that Joe Biden is going to announce here in the next couple of days, you mm -hmm. know, it's going to be, Yeesh. that vacuum will be filled again, except this time it'll be... By the funny guy who was on Parks and Rec and the onion, you know, sucked him off for three years. Yeah, he's basically Ben Wyatt. <laughs> he's Ben Wyatt from Parks and Rec, which everyone who watched that show at all knew from the way what he what his positions were and all of that, that he was an absolute bloodless neoliberal. When he ran for Congress, it was on a platform of entitlement reform and and like educate, edu, quote unquote, educational reform. I think we know what that means. <laughs> Absolutely. I think we all know what well, that means. Well, and they even have Ben Wyatt work for basically Pete Buttigieg on the show at one point. The guy yep. who's just this complete robot, you know, says all of the right, you know, inspiring things when he's in front of a camera. And then he goes back to the office and just sits there and stares at a wall with kind of a grin on his face until somebody needs him again. Yeah, that's definitely Pete. 
Yeah, I was really hoping, you know, when his campaign first started, I was like, oh, he's like Bernie, but young. And uh, <laughs> I was a little bit misled, I feel like. Um, it's time to come clean. To the extent that it would be cool to have somebody occupying high office who, you know, is a strong supporter of the LGBT community, for instance. But that can't be the only litmus test. Like, you also have to be speaking to everybody else. I don't know who he's speaking to other than the press and they're the ones who love him the most because he's got a resume and they're all nerds and they love credentials and so they see the Rhodes Scholarship and all the languages and they just get they get wobbly. I saw they, they did a segment on Mayor Pete on The Daily Show last week that was jaw-dropping. It was just a 10-minute suck fest where they were just showing unedited clips of him talking, doing his soaring, hollow rhetoric. And Wait, he wasn't on the show? No, no. It was about him. It was get, introducing you to Mayor Pete. And at one point, <laughs> they go... And he and they, they list all of his accomplishments when he was the mayor of South Bend and what a great job he did there. Uh, and then uh, Trevor Noah says, you might be saying, why are we only telling you about the good parts? And that's because that's all we could find. <laughs> <laughs> And the thing is, is that he was building a lab to appeal to the Daily Show viewership. That's his uh, base. Because people watch the Daily Show every night. Yeah, that's absolutely right. They're also the ones who still have, like, the donut emoji in their in their Twitter handle. Uh, just literally, literally yeah. anything except for a candidate who stands for anything concrete. At least Beto, like had a little showmanship he'd like ride his skateboard on stand on the table yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah if Buttigieg does a 700 i'm back in i'm back in <laughs> <laughs> they're having all these these candidate forums so they had one yesterday on cnn which was like a triple candidate forum i guess yes yeah. it's a human centipede basically <laughs> But there was an amazing uh, Amy Klobuchar clip where, you know, she was really hitting on that, like, Midwestern centrism hard, which I guess is also going to be Biden's tactic when he gets in the race. But, you know, she was like, I when I ran, I won every single district in my state, including Michelle Bachman's district. So that's when you're supposed to clap for me now because Michelle Bachman fans love me. Yeah, the hooting psychopaths of the of the Minneapolis exurbs, the the rapture awaiting gun humpers all voted for me. Congratulations. <laughs> and she literally did like the Jeb Bush thing where it's like that's where you're supposed to applaud now. <laughs> Please clap. Or I'll throw a fucking binder at your head. <laughs> Yeah, she was half a second from throwing a stapler at the audience. She did that on the next commercial break, you know, for them flubbing the applause line. But Brendan, I thought that was such a good point you made, too, that Amy Klobuchar is out there going like, Michelle Bachman's voters all love me. Why doesn't the left love me? And the left is going, well, it's because Michelle Bachman's voters love you. Because your idea of a political revolution is literally tax advantage savings accounts, tax, you know, means tested tax credits that are going to go toward helping fraction of the population maybe be able to afford that like $400 emergency that's kind of emerged as a, a talking point in this election. And meanwhile, you've got Bernie out there on Fox News, like literally getting Fox News audiences to like stand up and applaud for <laughs> right. Medicare for all and taxing billionaires. So it's it's a pretty interesting twist. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing, you know, the and also I think Matt you you've commented on this a little bit too 
um, this sort of uh, like liberal outrage that Bernie would try to like go on Fox News and talk to people who might actually be voters who are looking for, for something from a candidate. There are plenty of Fox News viewers who voted for Donald Trump because he made these grandiose promises. And then it turns out that all he did was really, you know, pass a massive tax cut for, for the ultra wealthy that may have trickled down a little bit, but not really. Um, and just kind of been a buffoon. And then you've got this guy going and speaking to that same audience saying, you know, here are like three concrete policy proposals that are going to be really good for you and your family. And the Fox News people are absolutely gobsmacked that any of this is resonating with their audience. And meanwhile, you know, like the, you know, hashtag resistance, like the still with her type people are just pissed at him that he would go on Fox News at all. Yeah, well, that's yeah. And uh, he got criticized on the left for going to Fox News for for uh, ratifying it or something or just you know, or or uh, legitimizing it or whatever the fuck. Like it's already, like it isn't the biggest fucking news channel in the world, right? But I, I Tom Watson tweeted about this because there was that Bernie did that ad about uh, Lordstown and with the the factory guy who was. Trump said we were going to keep the factory open and, and then he, he, he just let it get closed. He said doing that is racist because yeah. none of those people vote, believed anything Trump said about the economy. They only voted out of racism. Uh, and therefore, any <laughs> attempt to appeal to them is just winking at racists. Which is, I mean, that's such a, I mean, Tom Watson never saw a bad take that he wouldn't get behind. Um, but Oh, he's the king of them. You know, like the left has problems with class reductionism. And usually that's the that's the liberal criticism of the left that they want to break everything down to class. That's exactly the opposite of that thing. It is really identitarian reductionism to say, like, literally anybody in any county that went for Trump is just de facto a racist and they're not worth our time. I mean, that's that's how the Democrats fucking lose elections. Well, and it's demonstrably false, too. I mean, there was an episode of This American Life recently where they talked about what happens to your town when ICE comes and raids like a meatpacking plant or whatever and arrests like 100 people. Uh, And it was in this town, Kentucky or Tennessee or something like that. And they interview all these Trump voters and say, well, you know, what I thought I was voting for was getting rid of dangerous criminals, you know, not hardworking, you know, people with families, you know, in my community. And so it's unfortunate that these people voted for Trump, you know, not caring necessarily about the impact of his policies. But it's not because they always knew what the impact of those policies were, because they're fucking dumb. (laughs) And Trump is dumb. And he doesn't know what the impact of his own policies are. So you can't necessarily expect that his voters are going to think through his policies. I mean, all of the support is just a gut reaction to be like, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't like brown people taking my job, you know? Yeah. And it's like, there's got to be something to save these people from themselves. And I think, you know, AOC has been doing an amazing job with the like coal miners in Kentucky situation where, you know, (laughs) they invited her down there to talk about healthcare. And she's like, yeah, let's do this. And they were like, oh shit, never mind." Uh, we just remembered that not only do we not know any coal miners because we're rich right. Republican billionaires, but also we don't have shit to say on healthcare that is helpful in any way. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and you know, we we broadcast from 
basically the Great Plains region where you're you're seeing this kind of creep in. We talked to Leonard Pierce a couple of weeks ago about all of the socialists who got on the Chicago City Council. You see a lot of activism going on in Minnesota and Iowa around socialist ideas. And, you know, shout out to any comrades in Appalachia doing exactly the same sort of work in places where it's so desperately needed. And it turns out that when you go and talk to a community where like everybody's been out of work, I I read a thing the other day about how basically there's there's this sort of unspoken acknowledgement among Appalachian towns that most of the local economy is floated by disability payments, um, that everybody is kind of on some sort of public dole. And that's kind of what keeps money moving in the community. You know, so to think that you couldn't go to like Mitch McConnell's state and say, look, this is how the GOP has let your communities down. Here's a better alternative to think that that's not going to resonate with people there or that they're not they're not even worth talking to because they're all racists. You're, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Well, I mean, not from their point of view, because once you start opening up the Democratic electorate and you get people in there who are voting along class lines and self-consciously against a recognizable class enemy in the form of, of the the corporate overlords of America, then all of a sudden your yeah. job in the Democratic Party, which exists to be a go-between between those very forces and the electorate, uh, all of a sudden becomes kind of tenuous and it's not sustainable anymore. So they have a very vested interest in keeping their appeal strictly to people who vote for the Democrats just out of a sensible awareness that the Republican Party hates them on a personal level because they're minorities. Uh, or in the case of white people, uh, white people who are educated enough or high enough enough of a social status to be self-conscious about their whiteness and want to do some sort of penance for it, but have no real interest in changing the economic structure of the country. Absolutely. Um, I, I think that's a good place for us to take a break. Uh, since we were already talking about Appalachia a little bit, um, our first break, we've got a musical guest uh, this week. This is a single from, you may know him from Twitter. He's a really good follow if you don't. His name is Josh. His uh, handle is at lifters, L-Y-F-T-R-S. Uh, he's out of Nashville and generously gave us this single of his. So this is Two Solo by Josh. Go and check him out. Some meat in your hand. When there's ladies waiting on the same, no one compromising man. 
So we're not going to waste the opportunity uh, having Matt Christman on to talk about some um, a little bit more, I don't know, esoteric or uh, like symbolic sort of language uh, around some of these issues. Before we jump into that, though, uh, I did want to briefly touch on um, what feels like a local issue to me, which is this uh, this militia down in. Down that's along the border, crazy. who has been? That's, I, that's terrifying. Yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty amazing. Uh, what what has really stuck out to me? So I'm I'm sure you've seen it in the news, but uh, there's this group of guys who call themselves the Sons of Eagles Liberty Patriot Front or something, um, who go around patrol the border just as civilians and effectively just kidnap anybody that they find out there and turn them over to border patrol. Um, and what's really stuck out to me as this, as this story has kind of unfolded is literally everything I've heard, every bit of commentary, they always have somebody on as an expert. And the question is always, how come they're not being prosecuted for kidnapping? And the answer is invariably, uh. and I mean, it's, to me, I think that the answer is pretty obvious. They're not being arrested for kidnapping because Border Patrol likes these guys and thinks that what they're doing is is good. Yeah, no, I mean, there's footage of them interacting with Border Patrol agents in a cooperative fashion. And there's no way that that doesn't go way deeper behind the scenes. I mean, who knows what's going on in the WhatsApp or whatever. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we know, for instance, that there was the... Who's the congressman or maybe state senator or something out of Washington who literally has been collaborating with like Identity Europa and these yeah. other white supremacist groups that, you know, the idea that uh, like basically the most, you know, fascist looking agency in the federal government right now is not enjoying the, the sucker and support of these guys who are just kind of taking the law into their own hands is that's a fantasy, right? Oh yeah, yeah. They all, they all, they're all dreaming of the day that this all falls apart and they get to just start killing people. Well, I think a good response would be that for like all Mexican immigrants to just wear like big dogs T-shirts and like baseball hats and just carry <laughs> AK-47s, and that way when they run into each other in the border, they could just be like, you know, give each other a little head nod and be like, "Keep on, keeping on, partner." Yeah, right. We're we're gonna go out like those people who leave water out in the desert, um, but it's gonna be like, uh, like, like white person skin tone, like foundation, <laughs> and um, like a maga hat. Well, um, so I'm you know, kind of stunned that these dudes haven't just like shot each other or whatever. They're just running around at night, you know, heavily armed, you know, patrolling the border with absolutely no training other than like Infowars videos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, Matt, uh, I remember you guys on Chapo did an episode with, um, I don't remember his name offhand, but the guy who had infiltrated one of these groups, one of those like Sons of Liberty, yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. groups. Um, and it, it's basically exactly what Brendan's describing, where it's like, you know, a, a bunch of them are like ex-military and stuff, and they've got the, you know, army field guide to, um, you know, what it, they've got all of the army field guides. Uh, but... For the most part, like these, these are not like highly trained operatives. It's really just who you picture. It's a bunch of like kind of slack jawed dudes driving trucks around and feeling like they're they're being soldiers, um, which is essentially what the brown shirts were. I'm pretty sure 
you know, back when, you know, back when the brown shirts were a thing. It, it reminds me of that Clive and Bundy dude who, you know, is like a hero of the ultra right and is literally like yeah. having shootouts with the FBI, you know, over like federal land and like not being able to like steal federal land for their personal use. No, literally just grazing rates. Literally just he's been grazing his cattle for so long that he owes the federal government like a million dollars and they had a, an actual shootout with the federal government and it all came to nothing. Then they took over the bird sanctuary, uh, the whole uh, Malheur, Oregon bird sanctuary right. thing, and they all got acquitted Which is, too. It's, that's the scary thing about Trump is that it encourages dudes like that because he's openly giving them the signal that's like, oh yeah, no, just go out there, you know, do whatever you want, you know, shoot up some, sure. some people, you know, whatever, and you know, we'll still support you 100%. Might even be a pardon in it. Matt, what's your take on that sort of, uh, I, I think they call it like stochastic terrorism, but it, this is something a little bit more organized feeling. It, it's not just terrorism. It's stochastic, uh, like empowering of, you know, like organized groups to start uh, being active. Yeah, I mean, that is the that's the, the the unnerving thing is that once you start seeing uh, people organizing uh, paramilitarily. Uh, that's always not. That's always a sign of it's of incipient uh, fascism to the degree that it connects to larger political movements, uh, which you're seeing with the guy in in, Was in Washington. Uh, and so you can kind of see the dim outline of the sort of street fighting, uh, inside outside street fighter uh, politician uh, uh, coalition that turns into a, a, like a real fascist political movement in this country. Uh, and uh, the likelihood of that uh, happening uh, is, of course, exacerbated, would be exacerbated greatly the next time there's any kind of significant economic downturn. Yeah, I mean, this is this is my fear. And I got into a big debate with some friends about it recently who were saying, um, like, Joe Biden may be, you know, a front runner right now. It's like him and Bernie neck and neck, basically, for the Democratic nomination. And it, I, my position was that if Joe Biden gets the nomination and is elected, it'll be basically the last Democratic president ever because he's not going to address any of these uh, kind of like under the surface roiling issues that are causing the problems that we're seeing. He's he's going to feed into exactly the machine that produced the uh, like the Donald Trump phenomenon, people who want, you know, a strong man who has all of the answers to come in and basically just erode democracy to the point that he's governing like a like a king or a, a fuhrer or whatever you have. Yeah, because there's going to be a massive collapse shortly in the economy in the next three or four years. And when that happens, who's in office is going to end up determining a lot of how the how it plays out long term. Um, and I mean, there is a there is a there is a yeah. way that that happens where it's Bernie and and the Democrats in Congress are so determined to undermine him that he ends up being totally ineffectual and his presidency is also disastrous and leads us further to, down the road to uh, uh, Armageddon. But uh, the thing is, is that there's a chance that it could he could use it to channel you know that that Rooseveltian energy of of pushing the New Deal forward and beyond its original limitations uh as opposed to if you get a guy like biden in there where there's just no good result it will doom us there, there's just no place where a 
a Democrat wedded to the current uh, Democratic establishment could react to uh, economic crisis in the Obama way that would not be deeply, deeply destabilizing to uh, the entire like ec- Democrat, like the fucking Democratic experiment. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. You know, I, I think the the real nightmare scenario is that you know Bernie Sanders gets gets elected. And then immediately we go into massive economic downturn, which has been it's been building and building for a long time. And uh, Brendan and I have both been stockbrokers and we're fairly, uh, fairly up to date on, you know, exactly what those indicators are. And it does look like it's coming. So Bernie gets elected, massive economic downturn. And then all of these people who are nominally on the left, um, and by that I mean, you know, like centrist democratic liberals go, you know, oh, it's just like Venezuela. Like, see, socialism yeah, no, doesn't that's a work. Real concern. That's ter- that is a real concern. Uh, it's all a question of the degree to which the Sanders campaign could create a durable, mobilized structure among actual citizens. The, if it becomes just another thing where you vote and then you just watch the people in Washington to hash things out uh, and then just respond emotionally to what happens, then it's going to be fucked regardless. And and the Sanders is as doomed as anyone. Yeah, totally. I mean, going back to the, yeah, going back to basically the, like the stupor that everyone was in for eight years during the Obama administration, where it was like, we've got our guy in office. Things must be going mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's some uh, that's some happy food for thought for you. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna pivot a little bit because um, really I think we we ought to approach this a little bit. Um, so Matt, obviously people know you from Chapo Trap House, and Chapo has its own sort of uh, sort of lingo, a, li- a bit of a lexicon um, that some people may not be super familiar with, uh, and I think the as we go into a, a political environment where everything is memes now, um, knowing this lexicon is going to be even more and more important. So I thought we might do a little bit of, uh, you know, like nomenclature and taxonomy lesson for folks. Um, try to figure out, like, how things slot together. So um, we, we put together... Actually, I, I'm, I'm lying. I didn't produce this segment that well, but... <laughs> Um, there, there are these, these terms that I think it's, it's important for people to know. And I, I want to start off with one of, uh, one of your gang's favorite one, um, chud. Yes. And how does chud fit into, um, say like the broader Trump phenomenon? Does that describe every single person no, who's I would a say, Trump supporter? I mean, at this point, if you're an active Trump supporter to the degree that you identify with him you identify with his project you find him smart or cool or alpha you think his brain his <laughs> his demented senile sundowning ravings uh, are speaking truth to the deep states or the fucking fake news media yeah you're chut 100 percent. if you're if you watch him mincing around with his with the with the foundation melting off of his face, talking about how mean uh, Graydon Carter was to him in 1985, you're a fucking chuck. Yeah, hugging the hugging the American now, if flag cool as if that wouldn't have the flag. Yeah. You're a chuck. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's it's hack at this point to even point it out. But I mean, any Democratic president for the past 50 years, if they had done that, like we would still have memes about 
how effete and weak that looks. Oh my god, it's just the desperate grasping of it. It would be immediately repellent. But the thing is, is that with them, like some of them, you know, the more the ones who are kind of sundowning along with Trump, the the oldsters, they see him hug a flag, and they are that smooth lobed that they respond well to that like yeah <laughs> hugging the flag that's the opposite of kneeling during the national anthem this is <laughs> this is what we should be doing but for the younger ones right. i think they think it's kind of they think it's their version of irony posting where they kind of are glorying in the fact that their guy can do that and it's and nobody thinks anything of it they're glorying in the fact that they sort of own the the space around patriotism they own the branding around america that their right demented old man president can hug the flag and it is not just laugh out of the universe and they kind of getting off on it what's sad as hell about that is they're totally right yeah they are absolutely right yeah <laughs> but are they really are they really cannibals though i mean just because they're, you know, they're chuds, you know, do we really know that they're that they're cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers? I just finished reading. Uh, I, I took it with me on my trip, a book called Slow Train to Arcturus about um, like a bunch of human habitats flying through space. They're colony ships that are kind of dropping off at stars as they go through. And the first one you go into is the one that's like. It's literally just the Trump supporter one. It's it's the oh like super gun rights, like white supremacist libertarians. And, you know, near the end of the book, you find out that like they all ended up killing each other and had like hundreds of years ago, literally just turned to cannibalism. <laughs> um, yeah, which is very, very gratifying. Matt, you mentioned another one. Uh, while you were talking that uh, I think is sort of a bipartisan phenomenon. Smooth brain. Yes. That is just a way for us, I guess, to get around uh, the ableism argument about using terms for people who are not particularly smart. Then it's just a, it's a metaphor okay. for, you know, your lobes rather than having the wrinkles that indicate uh, accumulated knowledge and, and critical faculty are instead just completely smooth, like a, like a recently made hotel bed. Well, sir, my uncle had smooth brainitis, and I take offense. <laughs> right. There, there are no forks uh, on these neurons. They go in a straight line yeah. from one idea to another with, with no input from anything else. Yeah, there's, it's like they have, there's no history. There's no critical thinking. There's just, there's just a limbic response to what they're seeing in front of them. Yeah, zero context. And in fact, uh, I don't remember if it was you or one of your co-hosts who brought it up uh, in the, like, the post-2016 election. Um, but the point was made that, uh, like, that's kind of what, like, fascist thinking does. It wants to smooth over all talking points. Um, that there's there's never any relation, there's never any context or his history to any of these ideas. You just go from basically input to output. Yeah, I mean that that's I mean, that's how most people sadly pro process politics. That's part of the problem we have. So, so what do you do about that? I mean, it, so I, I think it's too late for people like, uh, who's the guy who looks like the Goomba from the, the Mario Brothers movie, Ryan Saavedra or something? Oh, yeah, that guy. The, his perfectly square head. I'm, yeah, I mean, it's, it's too late for him. It's too late for, uh, like, Matt Walsh, who just today said, you know, people who have student debt 
shouldn't be weighing in on, you know, student debt forgiveness. Like politics should only be run by apparently people who are not impacted by politics. Yes. By, um, by like some sort of exalted uh, panel of 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 elders who are kept suspended in some sort of amniotic fluid and have don't have houses or jobs or uh, anything corporeal that would actually give them uh, a stake in any kind of political outcome. Uh, you you just described the uh, the Supreme Court, did you not? Hey, waka waka. <laughs> I, I mean, ideally, I think a lot of these people, what they really want would be some sort of AI to make these decisions. Because that's yeah, sure, that, the, uh, that is not whatever that's the, something that's totally disinterested and divorced from the actual questions of political uh, decision. Yeah, the, the supreme intelligence from <laughs> the, uh, the Captain Marvel movie. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yes, we should be like the Creed. <laughs> they seem to be doing really good out there. I don't know. I, I, I might be down for this. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving toward the, I guess, moving toward the light, the... I said the light. We're not moving toward the light. We're moving ever closer to the darkness. Um, moving toward the left, then, um, like, donut Twitter, hashtag resistance, hashtag still with her, hashtag nevertheless she persisted. Um, is, there a, is there a good kind of catch-all term for these people? Uh, I guess people call it, like, donut Twitter because of that insane... Uh stupid thing about Nina Turner and the donuts. I think that's a nice shorthand. And a lot of them yeah. don't have it on their avatars anymore, but it it bespeaks a certain mindset of total feudal ob- obligatory loyalty. Obesience? Yeah, lo- I was thinking loyalty is the word I was looking for. So feudal loyalty sure. to the banner of, it was Hillary Clinton and now it's just, I guess, broadly the Democratic establishment, which they saw as, as a as Hillary's ally in 2016, and now that Hillary's not there, it's all that's left, and so that's what they're gonna support. Yeah, they're like they're like they're 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 bannermen of of the of yeah. the DNC. It's it's all the same people who have spent the you know the past three years saying like no more old white men, and then as soon as Joe Biden, yeah, it's you know, pretty amazing. <laughs> it's one of those things that makes you go hmm. Like a, a little bit of a, a thinking face emoji on that one. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's like donut Twitter versus Rose Twitter. You know, are those the, the, the two camps or, you know, do you guys have like a third, you know, spoke in the in the wheel? Yeah, I don't know. You know, I, I have never put a, an emoji in my Twitter handle. Oh, no, I think I did during Halloween one time, but it was just like a spooky mm, ghost do love or something. Ghost. Gotta, gotta love that ghost emoji. <laughs> He's, he's got a great face. Kind of a goofy ghost. He's not scary. <laughs> yeah, he's winking at you. Yeah, he is. The, the term pop- that I immediately thought of when you brought this up is is the, the, the term the dirtbag left and also the related term of, of Bernie bro. Um, you know, do you, do you think that those are... I, I don't even know that people are still using them, but I guess they are, just not of the circles that I run with. Well, o- only when they talk to somebody from Chapo, I think. Yeah, uh, I. It is interesting to see that what terms are kind of back in uh, style and everything. It's interesting. I don't see the word. I don't see people using Bernie Bros so much anymore. I think it's because partially because there's just too many candidates now uh, that you can't have that sort of. You can't create these narrow tranches and 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 kind of. Uh, 
define them that way. I have seen people refer to like Sanders supporters and talk about how obnoxious they are, but it seems like the gendered part has gone away. Maybe people have realized that it just doesn't hold water when you see what is act, what Sanders' actual base is. That it, calling in bros, it's just it's not. It doesn't. You see a lot of really outspoken. Uh, say like women of color out there who are yeah, big that, Sanders supporters. Like three years yeah. of that has made it harder for them to sustain the Bernie bro thing. Uh, yeah, I think it's too bad though because it, it was going to be kind of fun to come up with alliterative names for everybody. You know the uh, I don't know like the Harris Harridans. Um, <laughs> it's it's too bad that like Bernie already starts with the B because now we also have Beto and Buttigieg. But um, and Biden, you know, oh my god, and, and bees, Biden, baby. holy shit. Yeah. It's like the fuck. It's like the. Uh, it's like the early aughts Houston Astros, the killer bees. <laughs> They're all trying to win the primary just by being listed first alphabetically on the on the list. They're all vying right. for it. Oh man, Warren Warriors are going to get their asses Alan kicked. Alan Alda though. is about to declare his candidacy. <laughs> you know what? Uh, if Alan Alda came out and ran for the Republican ticket. I think you would have a lot of, you know, like donut uh, emoji Twitter support him if because he, ran, he was. If he ran the same, if he ran as his character on the West Wing, Arnold Vinnick, right. who was the <laughs> who was the atheist libertarian Republican from California, <laughs> who ran against Jimmy Smith. The most realistic show on television. Man, if you want, it's so funny. People talk about that show like, wow, look at this. This is behind the scenes. And you look at some of the stuff they did during their races. You look, just take a look at the presidential map of the last election they had between Jimmy Smits and Alan Alda, where uh, uh, Jimmy Smits, the Democrat, won Texas, and uh, and Alan Alda, the Republican, won oh, California. Yeah. <laughs> right, it's a topsy turvy <laughs> world out there. At and, season oh, 10. I forgot. He's not just an atheist. He's fucking pro-choice. <laughs> The pro-choice atheist Dem- Republican presidential yeah. candidate. What? Who yeah, he's, he's going to absolutely yeah, kill it in Iowa. The writing on the wall. If Arnold Vinnick was real, I mean, he, he kind of is. Bill Weld is sort of uh, Arnold Vinnick. And he's ru- he ran on yeah. a libertarian ticket last time. And he is running uh, against Trump. And no one's noticed. And he's not going to break 10% anywhere. But he's going for it. Well, just wait till Romney jumps in. Then, then the race is really going to heat up on the Republican primary side. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but before we before we wrap up, because uh, we're we're running uh, close on time on this segment, um, any chance whatsoever that anyone tries to realistically primary Trump? Well, like I said, it, uh, Bill Weld is currently in New Hampshire shaking hands and stuff. Uh, uh, Tim Case or Tom, uh, uh, John Kasich has flirted with it. I think at the end of the day, they're all going to realize it's hopeless. Bill Weld doesn't have anything better to do, so he'll probably pursue it. But I think he's going to sure. lose. Why would Romney yeah. run for Senate if not to try to primary Trump? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Because it's, it's a job. <laughs> because these guys like he needs a fucking job. Limelight. They're fucking... Yeah, totally. They're, they're, they're uh, narcissists. They have to well, have people true. paying attention to them. Like, being in the Senate, people care what you have to say. He, gives, he did that stupid letter where he talked about how disappointed he was in Trump, but he wasn't going to do anything, and it was a huge <laughs> story. I mean, if he was just some private citizen, no one give a shit what he had to say. I, lo- I do love the infighting on the right about Mitt Romney because he goes basically back and forth like a like a windsock 
um, depending on what he's doing on whether or not Republicans like him anymore. Um, so he, you know, he'll 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 do a strongly worded letter about how something Donald Trump. He, uh, he, he did one about the Mueller report that was like, ah, I, I hate to have to say it, but this does actually look kind of bad. And all of a sudden you've got. You know, every fucking woodlouse from uh, the Republican commentariat, you know, crawling out to be like, you're you're just a, a fair weather fan. You know, you, like th- th- this is the mask coming off, sir. Right. Trump attacking yeah. him for for losing the election, even though he got a bigger share of the popular vote than Trump did. Well, I think that's a pretty good place for us to wrap up that segment. That, thank you, Matt, for uh, for helping us kind of figure out some of these terms a little bit. Yeah, no problem. Um We've been we've been using them on Twitter uh, pretty much uh, fluently for the past couple of years. And that's mainly due to, you know, you and your show. Um, But, you know, it's good for good for other people to be conversant in these terms as well, I think. Yeah, that's a a child's glossary of uh, idiot terms. (laughs) Hey, you know, it's uh, it's it's better than not having a glossary at all. We we're living in childish times. Indeed. That might be the uh, episode title. Now that I think about it. All right, let's uh, let's take a break, and we're gonna we're gonna give Matt Chrisman a test that I don't think he's ever had because he doesn't know that we try to wrap up our show by taking it out on a high note. Oh boy, looking forward to it. Reached an agreement on the debt ceiling bill. We will pass it within the hour and send it to the president for his signature before midnight. What about the minimum wage amendment? We've agreed to have a separate vote on the minimum wage increase tomorrow. Is it going to pass? Yes, it will. I'll vote for it, and I guarantee you it'll be more than enough bipartisan support to pass it. Senator, are you going to reconsider Reverend Butler's invitation to his church this weekend? I fully respect Reverend Butler's position. I mean, I appreciate his invitation. And, uh... Look. I respect Reverend Butler. And I respect his church too much to use it for my own political purposes. And that's exactly what I'd be doing if I went down there this Sunday. Because the truth is, it would just be an act of political phoniness. I may be wrong, but I, I suspect our churches already have enough political phonies in them. Senator, do you or do you not? I see how we can have a separation of church and state in this government. If you have to pass a religious test to get in this government. And I want to warn everyone in the press and all the voters out there. If you demand expressions of religious faith from politicians, you are just begging to be lied to. They won't all lie to you, but a lot of them will. And it'll be the easiest lie they ever had to tell to get your votes. So every day until the end of this campaign, I'll answer any question anyone has on government. But if you have a, if you have a question on religion, please go to church. Thank you. Senator. Senator Pinnock. Senator we always like to take it out on a high note, and I've just got to keep it going with the West Wing right now because the <laughs> West Wing, it's its the future of politics because basically what just happened in Ukraine is that uh, this guy did a West Wing style show where he's like, I'm just an everyday guy, and somehow I got elected president of Ukraine, uh, and it ran for a couple seasons, and it was pretty popular. And then that guy said, I'm going to do that for real and ran for president (laughs) of Ukraine and fucking won. Um, So that is the new future of politics, right? It's like if you want to 
run for president of a of a major country, you better get a couple seasons of a TV show first, at least, about you running right. some shit. It's it actually rules. I love it because it, it just indicates that yeah, there's no difference anymore between reality and uh, and the spectacle, which of course was always true, but we kind of decided to, we were going to pretend otherwise, and we're just leaning into it now in the end days, and I think that that's, that's at least honest of us. Yeah, and, it's true. Uh, you know, a, a lot of people make a big point about how, you know, Trump is a game show host, um, but forget that, like, the golden boy of Republican politics for the past 40 years has been Ronald Reagan, who started yeah. off as, like, like a country western actor and also did, did some movies, movies with, with a monkey. Bedtime yeah. for Bonzo. And when he became a national political figure, people at the time said that this is some sort of huge, uh, like a fall of civilization thing, that the, this, this actor could just become a, a political figure with no experience. Uh, I mean, they and, make, and that, now he's they the make that joke the in fucking Party. Back to the Future. Yeah, yeah. And now he's the bedrock, uh, I like, in, quote unquote, intellectual forerunner of the entire Republican Party. <laughs> well, looking back. And now it's, and now it's Trump. They may have been correct, more, actually. At least he didn't even go through the thing of becoming legitimized by becoming a governor the way Reagan did. He just went straight to it. Right. So it'll be looking forward to it. I mean, the thing is, this is what's so tantalizing to me about, because Trump's going away one way or the other. He's either going to die in office, get to lose election, or he's term limited. I mean, hopefully we'll see what happens. Maybe they... No, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jar that's that's a fingers crossed. <laughs> But he's going to go away. And then how are Demo Republicans going to go back to regular politics? How are they going to go back to getting excited for these just dishwater conventional politicians who have the same canned rhetoric? How are they going to get excited? Oh, they're not. Like they're not. They're gonna... Kennedy 2030, baby. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, I don't know gonna... how that isn't it. I mean, how are yeah. how is if any of these guys are, are – now that they know Trump shows that if anything's possible and there's nothing stopping them – you got to know that if you go out there and you run, you're going to look way better to the to the to the Hooten swine than any conventional politician just trying to aridly recite the same talking points. Well, absolutely, and you've seen the same thing with uh, you know, when when somebody asked Oprah if she would ever run for president, and all of these people came out of the woodwork to say like how dare you, you know, say that's a bad idea? You know, like Oprah's at least as good as who we've got in the office right now. Yeah. As if the bar isn't on the fucking floor <laughs> for that question. So, yeah, I mean, at least this guy, uh, this Ukrainian guy, he seems like he's pretty cool. He kind of ran on an anti-corruption campaign and, uh, you know, the, the existing guy in there wasn't super great either. So, I don't know. Iceland did this before, too. They elected a guy who was, like, a comedian who, like, did political yes, humor. They did, yeah. And that actually worked out fucking great for Iceland. Everybody said that they were going to just go to into the shitter. They were like, that economy's fucked. They have all this bank debt. And then they just said, well, we're not going to pay that bank debt, and you can't do anything about it. And they said, oh, shit, you called our bluff. And then, you know, now people love to go to Iceland. It's like a huge tourist destination and shit. So... I guess it's possible that it could work out. Closer to home, um, like, he's not in office anymore, and it's good that he isn't, but Al Franken was a comedian for most of his career until he ran for office, and he actually accomplished some really good stuff while he was in there. You know, I think uh, in that case, you've got, 
you know, like being a comedian means that you have to be able to kind of look at the ugly underbelly of society and make a joke about it. But you have to understand the underbelly to yeah. do it. The Alec Baldwin versus Sean Hannity election is going to be really rough, though. I don't know <laughs> if I'm going to be able to make it through. So somebody else save me from this high note. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, I, I can I can go with one. This is this is from uh, my current home state of Texas. Um, John Cornyn, our uh, our senior senator from the state of Texas, uh, is facing a a challenge um, from what's her name Hager. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I've never gal, heard gal of her. Apparently, she's run for something else. I don't know. I, I've yeah, I've I've never heard of her either. I assumed that it would be like Julian Castro, you know, mounting the big challenge against Cornyn. But I think he uh, probably still is going to. It should have been fucking Beto O'Rourke instead of this farce of a presidential. <laughs> he could just election, continue but. to lose Senate elections. Why not? <laughs> well, anyway, John Cornyn tweeted out a thing today that was a. Uh, uh, Hollywood Hager supporter and video guest star Patton Oswalt has tweeted some offensive comments over the years. Reply A or B to let us know which one is more offensive to you. And then they just went and pulled two old Patton Oswalt jokes off of Twitter um, for, uh, I guess, people to get offended about. But they're both pretty funny jokes. What's What's great about it is they censored <laughs> out all of the swear they words. Took some time to Photoshop <laughs> so, out all the swears. So is he? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, which is which is especially funny when one of the tweets that they picked is Patton Oswalt making a joke about somebody writing a haiku about getting lemon juice in a paper cut, uh, and it's literally just swear words. So it, this uh, this tweet is like at this point, after it's gone through the Cornyn machine, it's like seventy percent asterisks by weight. <laughs> Uh, which is so funny Donald to me. And then Trump is president. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, this is just this is more evidence that a lot of these people have not reckoned with where we are. I mean, I mean it's one thing to push point out that they're being hypocrites, and obviously, it's very hypocritical for them. The party of the grab me by the pussy guy, the guy who just who called him who right. called a member of Congress Adam shit. Uh, is gonna is gonna uh, fret about not even a, an opponent, but the opponent's supporter swearing on Twitter. I mean, obviously it's hypocritical, but but that's boring. What really shows is just how that out of touch it is. Like you really yeah. think? Well, we're I mean, there and, and to add to that, Matt, to add to that, you know, basically who they're pandering to is an audience of people who you get them like two shiner box deep, and they start using gamer words liberally. You know, right. The, the the idea that a Democrat is unelectable because they once talked to a comedian who sometimes uses bad words that like that's right. the best argument that you have against your opponent. Like that's a that's pretty weak sauce, bro. What I love about it is somebody actually found like the LinkedIn for John Cornyn's like media manager. And he's this like 27 year old. Uh, like sweater vest under a blazer, like absolutely carried a briefcase to high school sort of dude going up against this universally beloved comedian who's really good at short form comedy. Oh, it's the perfect fight to pick uh, on Twitter. Uh, what could go wrong? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's gone really well for John Cornyn. I think the last time I checked, it was like it was a ratio of, you know, 10,000 comments on a, a tweet that got like 50 likes or something. 
And well, I think it's in the, it's, but I think what should be really reminded, reminded of here though is that, yeah, this was absolutely embarrassing and idiotic. And this kid is a clown who is, does not deserve his job, but it's not going to matter. Cornyn's still probably going to win. If I had to put my money on it, I'd say Cornyn's going to win. Oh, absolutely. And so what it really shows is the degree to which politics really is just a make work program for the otherwise unemployable children of the elite. I none of these social media jobs, none of these uh, jobs in, in these campaigns or at these offices, none of them are, are doing value-added work. None of them are doing anything that actually helps advance their, their, uh, their given politician's agenda or chance of winning, but it keeps them busy. It keeps them out of their dad's pool house, and that's just what it's there for. <laughs> well, mission, mission accomplished because uh, Absolutely. The, the, the coffers are full of, of fail son social media managers. <laughs> All right. So that's that's my high note. Uh, Matt Christman, this is a I, I think this might be a big challenge for you, but I want to hear what what positive thing did you pull from from the news recently? Uh, well, during the break, I was reminded of the uh, the successful conclusion of the stop and sh- save uh, uh, strike in Massachusetts, uh, and hell yeah, and of the broad trend of increasing labor militancy, both in the public and private sectors, which is really one of the very few bright spots uh, trends in America, anyway, in the last uh, two or three years. So that's good to see. Yeah, and it's been amazing how that's happening, um, completely like around and outside of you know what you would normally think of as like democratic party organizing yeah um this it's it's actual grassroots shit it's not you know like they haven't been they haven't been trucking in celebrities to support these movements they just realize that they hold the power and if they all band together collectively they're actually you know a lot more powerful than the people who are who are dicking them over hell yeah yeah, and it's like been a string of these of these victories. I mean, it, it's it's almost unmistakable that almost every time these strikes happen, they end up benefiting the workers. Like, I'm not hearing a lot of stories of like you know pro union protesters, you know, totally crushed by the conglomeration. Right. It's usually like, okay, we'll just give you whatever you want. Like, please come back to work so that we can continue to make income at this corporation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just just today, um, the basically the the suits, the C-suite executives from Gimlet Media, the big uh, like podcast, you know, I would call it a collective like big podcast corporation, uh, basically bent the knee to all of the content creators who are like, you you guys have been dicking us over like we will not make more podcasts for you until we get some representation in these negotiations. Yeah, and I, I think part of that, part of the reason that it's been successful is because there is it's such a relatively tight labor market right now. And that's another one of these things where the response to the upcoming uh, economic uh, downturn is going to be really interesting. Uh, and seeing yeah. how, how, this, how this nascent movement responds to it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what I would like to see is a, a broadening of that sort of uh, ideology and awareness um, and extend that to, you know, communities standing up for themselves when it comes to rent hikes or uh, the way public lands are being used. You know, it turns out there are a lot more 
of us than there are of them. And I know that I'm just doing, you know, like basic labor organizing, like redux here. Um, but it's a lesson that our country has kind of forgotten. Um, the Democratic Party completely left behind its blue collar roots and have been anti-union, anti-organizing for a good, you know, 40 or 50 years at this point. And now this awareness is coming back up organically. And it turns out that it works. It still works. Yeah, it really is. It's a it's it's a it's a classic thing. It's still around for a reason. I mean, they've been trying to get rid of it for 40 years, but it's still lingering because it's such an obvious to obviously beneficial tool and it has such obvious benefits for the people who are willing to utilize it. Yeah, it is crazy. I remember uh, in the last election, there was a, a ballot initiative in Missouri, uh, which is a pretty reliably red state. And it was that like kind of right to work legislation that a lot of Republicans are always pushing. And it yeah. just got smacked down hard at the ballot box, which was pretty shocking to me because, you know, coming from a state like Nebraska, where it's been right to work for like 20 fucking years now, I just yeah. assume like, oh, of course, they're just going to put that on the ballot in every red state and it's just going to pass easily. Uh, but it's actually not happening. Um, and it is kind of amazing. I, I guess it is possibly impacted by the fact that the the job market is so good. And, you know, there was a stat that... Uh, Recently, there's more job openings than people seeking employment, which hasn't happened in a really long time, um, which is a pretty amazing statistic to think about when you have the president talking about, you know, a border crisis of people coming over here to work jobs when literally even if every person seeking employment had a job, they would still have job openings that needed to be filled. So it's an amazing, you know, position to, you know, put people in to defend this policy when it just makes absolutely no sense when you look at the facts. Well, yeah. And it's basically what's what we're witnessing in real time is all of these talking points that aren't just uh, Republican talking points, but, you know, the, the actual bipartisan policy positions um, are being put to the test and founding are being found wanting. And, you know, that's I, I think that that's the the real inspirational takeaway of, you know, the rise of the of the left again in this country that, you know, like these people mostly work for the same people. And it's not it's not us. It's not the actual population of the country. Matt Christman, last word. Baba Booey, Baba Booey, Baba Booey. How it's turned. Catchphrase, catchphrase, catchphrase. Cool. Well, everybody knows that they can find us on Twitter at liquid underscore flannel. I'm Matt the Gwait on Twitter. Uh, that's with a W and Brendan. I'm at Brendan Williams with one L. Thanks again to Matt Christman. And also thanks again to Josh, our musical guest. Um, go and check his stuff out. So, yeah, we'll see you next week. 